Well, again, I want to say good morning to you and ask you to grab your Bibles and open them to, or if you've got an electronic copy of God's Word, uh, turn it on to Luke chapter 14 this morning. As we just continue to roll through our series of Follow Me, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Uh, this is going to be the fourth week out of seven. Uh, again, you can find any of them uh, there on iTunes. Just search Westlake Baptist Church and it will take you right to it. But this morning as we begin, we, we've entitled this message, Counting the Cost. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big fan of projects that get sent home from school. Um, for, for the kids to do for this reason. It, it typically means mom and dad have some homework to do. Uh, and, and some of the research projects and things of that nature. Uh, however, there was a project that our oldest, Andrew, had to do the first semester of this year that I absolutely loved. And, and the project was this. Each student had to make some choices. Were they going to go to college, even though that meant they would incur debt? Or would they just go to work right after graduating from high school? Now, of course, the job they were able to get and the salary they were able to uh, obtain was affected by that choice as well. Uh, then they had to make another decision. Am I going to get married? Am I going to The, the just a budget because if we're honest most of us these days struggle with defining a budget and sticking to it and so I mean they their job was you had to make a budget you had to stick within that budget pay your bills live and, and then have some to save and, and so it was a terrific project for them to learn what it means to be an adult because let's be honest when, when you're a teenager you're like I can't wait to be an adult I can't wait to get out on my own and call my own shots and do things the way I want to. And then you become an adult, and what do you want? I want to go back home. Let somebody else make all these decisions. You know, I think a lot of times, if we're being really honest, in the same way, God wants us to know what it means to be his disciple. What does it mean to walk with Jesus and to... To follow him. See, God doesn't want us to blindly follow him. He wants us to go with our eyes wide open, fully acknowledging and understanding what it means to be a disciple. Lest we start down that road and go, whoa, 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 this isn't what I bargained for. And so we want to understand what were Jesus' teachings on discipleship and what does it mean to follow him. The one big thing for this morning is this, that being a disciple of Jesus requires a complete commitment to Jesus. I just want to go ahead and put this out there. There is no such thing as a part-time disciple. This is a full-time commitment. It is not something we do on a Sunday morning. It is a lifestyle that we live every day of our life. Now, what does it look like? Let's start in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 25 and ask if you're able, would you stand to honor the 
you know, God's word. Luke 14, starting in verse 25, it says this. And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sit not down first and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sit not down first and consulted whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to study it. And now, God, I ask that you would give us hearts to simply receive the word of truth. And Lord, give us the ability to respond to what you're going to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is this. Being a disciple means and requires a complete commitment to Jesus. Now, there's two particular ways that we see this in our text together. The first one is this. Counting the cost means loving Jesus supremely. All right, if you've been here a while, you know this. We don't steer away from hard passages. We steer into them. Uh, I'm pretty sure you probably noticed the verbiage and the wording of verse 26. And you're probably going, what in the world does Jesus mean when he says, hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and his own life? Part of the issue here is this. You and I are approaching it from a 2019 standpoint instead of a first century standpoint. Uh, what I mean to say is this, that meanings of words often evolve over time. Let me give you just a very simple example of this. Let's say you were living in the ni- early 1900s. If somebody was to say, wow, that, you seem very gay, what did they mean by that? You were very happy, right? Now, if you said that exact same phrase today, that has a whole different meaning, Right? And that is exactly what we're looking at here, okay? So Jesus here is using this word hate. It's not uncommon. Fact of the matter, it's the same word that God used in the Old Testament that Paul talks about in Romans 9 in the New. He says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay, so we see that same word. So what does this word mean? It simply means to love less. Okay, Jesus didn't hate Esau. We can go back into Genesis and we can see that God loved Esau and that he provided for Esau. And so it's important for you and I to understand what Jesus is getting at in verse 26 when he says, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, what does it mean? It means you have to love Jesus supremely. You love Jesus more than anyone in anything else. What Jesus is calling them to here is he is calling them to obey the first commandment. 
There in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus in this text is calling them to fulfill the greatest commandment. If you remember uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, a scribe came up and said, Tell me, teacher, what is it, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus reply in Matthew twenty two thirty seven? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so what Jesus is saying in Luke 14, 26 is exactly what he said in response to that question. That you are to love me with everything you have. That I am to not be on the top of your priority list. I am to be your priority list. You know, so often you'll, you'll hear, even pastors say it, you know, God has to have the top billing on your priority list. And that sounds right. But really what we need to see is what Paul said in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ who is our life. See, Jesus isn't to be on top of a list that we have. Rather, he is to be the center of our life. The center of it touches everything we do. How I approach my job. How I handle my marriage, my children. How I handle my hobbies, my time, my finances. All of this stuff is to be done in such a way that it reflects my love for Jesus. That if it ever comes a question, who am I going to obey? It's not really a question. I'm going to obey Jesus. That if there's somebody in my life who is trying to pull my heart away from God, guess what? If I have to choose to follow God or, or follow with them, they get cut out. Now this... This is easy to say, but it's kind of difficult to do, right? I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and go, well, I love Jesus. But the question isn't, do you love him? The real question is, do you love him more than everyone and anything else in your life? You see, Jesus knew that sometimes other people, our most important relationships can take priority over our relationship with God. And that's why he says, father, mother. Okay, he's not telling you to break the fifth commandment, which is to honor your father and mother. He's saying, you've got to love me more than the closest of relationships you have with other people. So I just want you to think about how much do you love your spouse? How much do you love your children? What would you do for them, we are to do that and above for Jesus. It's what it means to love Jesus more than anything and anyone else. That nothing is ever going to keep us from loving God. Nothing is going to come in our life that's going to cause us to not be obedient to what Jesus has said. And again, this isn't the easiest thing in the world. Fact of the matter, if, if we were to go into Revelation chapter 2, the first uh, seven verses, Jesus is talking to a church at Ephesus. A and in this, he says, listen, you've got a lot of good things that you're doing. But I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. What Jesus was saying to this church was this. You don't love me the way you used to. 
You're not serving me. You're doing a lot of good things, but you're not pursuing me. And he called them to repent to come back to him. They didn't lose their first love, they left it. Things in life became more important than the relationship with Jesus. And the number one way that we see that is oftentimes with family. We, we see it not only between husbands and wives, but we see it with the kids. Okay, think about it. I, I'm going to date myself. When I was younger, pretty much everything was closed on Sunday. How many of you remember these days? Okay, yeah. There was a lot more of you in the first service that remembered that. Um, there weren't sporting events until later in the afternoons. That's changed. Okay, there, there's athletics 24-7 now. Now, am I saying that there's something inherently wrong with sports? No. I was involved with them. My children are involved with them. Okay, there's nothing wrong with sports as long as it occupies the proper place in our life. Okay, and again, sports is the easy one. All right, there's thousands of examples. Okay, um, which are you more likely to read? A romance novel or scripture? Okay, I mean, we, we can go on and on and on and play this. And, and this is really Jesus' point. It's not that you're doing something bad. It's you're choosing good things instead of God. And what he's calling us to do is, as disciples is to choose him over anything and everything else. Now, how can I know that I'm doing that? Well, it's the second thing in our text. It is this, by submitting our life to his will. All right, so have any of you ever done something and thought to yourself after you did it, you know, if I would have known how this was going to turn out, I probably wouldn't have done that. Like, anybody ever been there? Maybe we all have regrets. You're like, man, I saw that going differently in my mind. I, I think I say that at least five or six times a day, most of the time. But we can't go back and redo them, can we? It's, it's over. But see, the life of a disciple, according to Christ here, counts the cost of what it means to follow him. Why? Because following Jesus Christ isn't easy. Being a disciple of Jesus is countercultural. It means whatever most of society is doing, you can almost bet that what Scripture is going to say we as believers are to do is the exact opposite. And whether we ever want to admit this or not, a lot of us are addicted to people liking us. We want people to think favorably of us, and so we don't necessarily want to do something that would make people go, wow, that's weird. You're strange. Okay, but, but when we talk about following Christ, there's a lot of things in life that people are going to scratch their head and go, what are you doing that for? That's really strange. That's really difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at the end of verse 27. All right? Although it says, And whoever, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be his, my disciple. What does it mean to bear your cross? Does it literally mean to, you know, tie a cross beam around and, and carry it everywhere? To bear your cross 
is to bear the full weight of what it means to love God and love others. It means to be obedient to what God says. Why? Because it's the example of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Jesus loved his Father. Jesus was so submitted to the Father's will that he followed it perfectly, even though it meant he was going to die on a cross. This is what love is. This is what it means to submit to God. It means, Lord, whatever you are asking of my life, I'll do it. Now, if we're going to get to that place, we have to be honest. You have to have decided that Jesus is worth it. See, if Jesus isn't worth your life and your love and your affection, then you're never going to submit to his will. Okay, if you're not absolutely certain that whatever you may give up is less in value than who you get in Jesus, you're always going to be of the mindset, well, I will do this as long as. I will love Jesus until. We'll put all these conditions on it. But Jesus says, if you don't bear your cross, if you don't love me enough to follow me wherever, then you're not going to be my disciple. And so you have to be absolutely convinced that Jesus is worth it. Does that mean that we're going to give up some things in this life? Yes. So why do we do it? Because we are convinced that Jesus is more valuable. That Jesus is worthy of anything we'd ever give up. Yeah, I may give up some things, but who I get in return is so much greater than anything else I want. And again, we have to be convinced of this because Jesus taught over and over in the New Testament that his disciples were going to be ridiculed, mocked, persecuted. Many of them were, in fact, going to be murdered. Why? Because of their love for Jesus. And so we have to be convinced of his worth and that he is worthy of our sacrifice. See, here's the, the, the real issue. For me, I don't want to go to heaven because it, it's a place of no more sickness and sorrow and, and death. I don't want to go to heaven because the, the streets are paved with gold. I don't want to go to heaven because it'll be a reunion of loved ones who have gone on before. I don't even want to go to heaven because God is preparing a room for me. The reason I want to go to heaven is because that's where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. See, the glory of heaven is not the the pearly gates and the streets of gold and all of this. The glory of heaven is the resurrected Jesus. The fact that one of these days, by his grace, even though I don't deserve it, even after all the sin, all the disobedience, because of his grace, one of these days when I I leave this world, I will be able to see those nail-scarred hands and that pierced side. And there will be no doubt that is Jesus Christ, the one who loved me enough to die for me. That's the glory of heaven, church. 
Not what we get to walk on, not what we get to walk through or, or live in, but the very fact that we get to be in the presence of Christ for all of eternity. That this is the glory of heaven. You know, it's funny because a lot of people go, you know, when I get to heaven, I got some questions I want to ask. All right, full disclosure, um, there's a few of us that have been wrestling with the text for about a month. I got a few questions. Okay, just going to be really honest. But when I get to heaven, it's not going to matter. You know why? Because Jesus is there. See, this is about loving him enough to trust that everything you and I need, he's given. I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but that which he has given is for us and for our children that we may do the words of this law. In other words, God has provided everything you and I need to know who we are, to know who he is, to know what he has done for us, how to have a relationship with him, and how to live in that relationship with him. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What are those other things? Food, shelter, clothing. All, all of those things that so often concern us and consume us. Jesus says, don't worry about those. I got them. You seek me, and I'll take care of everything else. And so really, that's the question we have to ask this morning is, am I seeking Jesus? Have I submitted my life to him that says, Lord, wherever you send me, whatever you're asking me to do, you're going to get the glory, and you're going to help me accomplish it. Do I love Jesus as much? But how do I practically live this out? I want to give you a couple of things here quickly. First off would be this. Influence the world for Christ. Look there in verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith it shall be seasoned. Now, now what does this mean? It means to influence those around you. Jesus tells us that we are to remain salty. We are to remain undefiled, unwatered down from the world. It means we watch how we live. We watch the words that come out of our mouths. We watch the thoughts we allow to roam around in our heads. You see, salt doesn't become watered down by itself. It takes an external force to water it down. The reason so many believers are not being used by God the way that they desired or, or thought he would is this. We have allowed our life to become polluted by sin. We've allowed our witness to be watered down because of the intentional choices we're making. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have a favorite, like, soft drink? I just want you to think about that, okay? So you come in on a hot summer day. That's just a few months away, by the way. Maybe. Who knows? It could snow this afternoon and be 100 by 7 o'clock. Welcome to Virginia, okay? But you come in on a hot summer day, you get a nice cup of ice, and then you, my favorite is a nice cold Coke. And you pour it over there and you drink it. Man, it's just refreshing. It tastes good. It's exactly the way it's intended to be. But then you get distracted because you got squirrels running around in your brain. 
And you set it down somewhere, and you go off, and you're like, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to come right back. And that one thing turns into like 500. And an hour later, you go back, and you pick up that once ice-cold cup, and what's happened? The ice has melted. And you're like, it's okay, it's water. And so you drink it, and it doesn't taste very good, does it? This is the reality of a lot of believers' lives. When we allow sin to go unchecked in our life, it becomes watered down. And the things that God desires to do, He no longer can do. Why? Because we've lost that uniqueness. We have to resist the urge to conform to society. We, we, we've been entrenched with the thoughts. Well, if you just give here, if you just do that, if you just do this, then the world will readily accept you. This is what I want to say to us as Christians and us as churches. Don't try to fit in because God created and redeemed you to stand out. Not that we're holier than anybody else. Don't go there. But so that our lives can point them to the sufficiency of who Jesus is. We want to make sure that we are choosing to follow God and his word, not what would come natural to us. Okay, I mean, it's it's easy to blame society, but we're part of that society. Okay, that same sin nature is inside of every one of us. Us And so every day we have to choose. Am I going to live for Christ or am I going to live how I want to? And what God is calling us to do here in verse 34 is very, very simple. He's saying whatever influence you have, use it for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. Every one of you in here, whether you believe this or not, you have influence over somebody. Multiple people probably. So use that influence to draw people to Christ instead of push them away from Christ. The second way that we can simply apply this text is this. Be obedient. You know, this is probably the third or fourth straight week that this is popping up in our outline. Why? Because this is the sum total of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I've commanded you to do? Look at how he ends this section of Scripture. End of verse 35. He says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's not saying, hear what I'm saying. He's saying, understand what I'm telling you for the purpose of applying it. You know, we we often call this worship. You know, we're going to Sunday worship. And what does it mean? Well, it means that we come in and we have some prayers and we sing some songs, we hear the message, we do an invitation, we go home. And we've been fooled sometimes into believing that that's all worship really is. See, worship isn't just what we do on a Sunday morning. Worship should be the lifestyle that we live. Because worship is proclaiming that Jesus is worthy of all of my love, all my adoration, all my time, all my priorities. So whatever I do should be bringing glory to God. That's worship. The cultural norm is to believe that if I come into a building, if 
for a prescribed amount of time. And then I go, then I've worshipped. But this is what Jesus said to the nation of Israel, but also to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He quoted Isaiah 29, 13. He said, these people do honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Thank you for coming. I'm glad you're here. I don't believe it's a coincidence. I believe God brought you here for a specific reason and a purpose. I hope you're hearing it and know what God's asking you to do. But this is really the point. See, everything we do from 11 a.m. up to the invitation is leading us to the real moment of worship. Because worship is really a response to who God is. In light of what we have learned about God through music and the word, how are we to respond? That's what he means here. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. To understand what is being said and asked of you and to respond in obedience out of love for him. this morning is if you've never surrendered to the grace of God that's how you worship this morning acknowledging that you have sinned by rejecting God's loving grace trusting that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead the third day for your sins and placing all your hope and trust in him and what he did doing that as a form of worship saying you know I've I've given my heart and my life to Jesus but I've never followed believer's baptism no it will not save you but it is a form of worship and commanded to us maybe that's how you worship go you know what i need to be baptized when when we stand and sing a song here just a little bit i encourage you come up here i would love to talk with you and we'll set up a time to talk even more uh, about following it for some of you the way you need to worship today is you need to be really honest you're not loving Jesus the way Scripture says we should. There's some things that, that frankly just take more importance over it. You just need to confess that to God. You need to ask for His help in loving Him the way He deserves to be loved. So this is what I'm going to say. I don't know how we need to respond, but we need to respond. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead, stand with me, and we're going to pray. And in just a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity to respond to God. Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity just to open your word. Father, it's so easy just to go through the motions. It's what's comfortable, it's what's natural. But Lord, you're calling us to something entirely different. Our love for you is seen in our obedience to you. And so Lord, however we need to respond in obedience, I pray over these next several minutes we we will. That we're truly going to worship today. And we do this with an absolute understanding from your word that as your word goes out it will not return void but it will accomplish that which you desire 
And so, Lord, we just simply ask that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're going to sing another song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. If there's something you need to pray about, some decision you need to make, I want to encourage you. This, this is the time. Uh, Pastor Harry's going to be here. I'll, I'm here. You could pray at the front, pray, pray at the pew. Let's just respond in obedience to who God is.